welcome to Linux Action News, episode 177, recorded on February 21st, 2021. I'm Chris. And I'm Wes. Hello, Wes. Let's do the news. Touchdown confirmed. Perseverance safely on the surface of Mars, ready to begin seeking the sands of past life. This week, as you likely already know, NASA landed a rover named Perseverance on Mars. If you watched along with the two million others, you may or may not know Perseverance has a Linux-powered tiny helicopter in its belly. It weighs about four pounds, and its primary mission will be to master flight on Mars. And it was the highlight of my week to chat with Tim Kenham, who is the Mars Helicopter Operations Lead at JPL. I was hoping to get some Linuxy details, and he did not disappoint. He tells me that the Ingenuity helicopter and the helicopter base station that is attached to the rover that acts as a radio relay, it uses a port of Linero Linux, which is a popular distro for embedded processors. Some of the tech details are the uh, board that it runs on. is a it's, a it's a board built for them with a Qualcomm Snapdragon 801 with a quad-core 2.2 gigahertz ARM processor in it. Tim also noted that the Linux distribution and board support package was provided to JPL, but they did some tweaking and rebuilding for their use. Also, just as important to note here, the software running on that flying Linux box, it's open source. Oh, yeah. Tim tells us they're using a flight software framework that JPL open sourced a couple of years ago, actually, called F-Prime. How cool is this? Because the OS, you know, Linux, it's it's open source and free software, but... So is the software that solves real challenges for this Mars-flying Linux copter. So F-Prime helps it deal with the conditions of flying in the Martian atmosphere, which is much thinner than the Earth's atmosphere, and that alone, despite power restrictions and other things, make it extremely tricky to fly on Mars. Yeah, that causes all kinds of problems. One thing I didn't realize was it actually means that the speed of sound is much lower, and so you're just closer to the speed of sound. It's much harder to fly. And as a result, the helicopter blades, they have to be made of a special composite because they just have to go incredibly fast, which that takes a lot of power on its own, but it also causes a lot of vibration that you have to dampen on the craft. Yeah, and not only do these types of blades have to run super, super fast, but the components in the copter have to be kept warm. So legitimately, two-thirds of the Linux copter's power goes to just keeping the components from freezing. And then there's the delay. Mars is so far away that it takes radio signals quite a long time to get from the Linux copter back here to Earth. The team did actually at first try to build this thing to fly with a joystick. If you were sitting right there on Mars and you were trying to joystick it, what is it like? And it's almost unflyable. And the reason for that, it's the aerodynamics of when you want to command a roll to the left because you see yourself starting to move to the right and you start commanding a roll to the left, there's a delay aspect. So that, that delay effect makes it very, very difficult for a human to try and pilot it. Sounds to me like they're trying to use a really slow VNC connection. And that's when they realized they'd need a local solution. And then F-Prime was born. The way this flies autonomously, it has onboard gyros, onboard accelerometers, an onboard camera, an altimeter, and an inclinometer. And so using that sensor suite, real-time measurement, you know, against the terrain and, of course, the gyros and the accelerometers uh, sensing on board, uh, the real-time estimation of the state of the vehicle 
is made continuously, again, you know, hundreds of hertz at hundreds of hertz. And then that's fed into the closed loop control algorithm that takes the estimated state and then generates the correction that's needed at the uh, blade level and then the blades are continuously being controlled. So when you see video uh, tapes of our successful flights, right, and the vehicle looks dead calm, is coming up and hovering and going laterally, coming back, you know, the machines are working very, very fast and very, very hard. It just looks very calm, but yeah, so the, the blades are being continuously controlled. That was Ingenuity Project Manager, and uh, she says that if the test flight coming up goes well, we could potentially see a series of flights on Mars. Each one of those flights teaches us more about complicated details of flying safely on Mars. And you can imagine the ways this is going to be useful for future human visitors. The other part I'm really excited about here is up to now, we've kind of only got like selfies of these rovers. Um, This time, as the landing was happening, we got a picture from an orbiting spacecraft, but that's pretty tiny. Here, if Ingenuity works and it, you know, actually gets to fly out there, we're going to be able to get videos and pictures of Perseverance, perhaps even moving on the surface of Mars. And I think that's going to connect with folks just at the next level. And good news, as we record this yesterday, NASA received a check-in signal from the Ingenuity helicopter, and all systems seem to read go, which is a series of milestones that will be coming up. We have a series of major milestones between now and Ingenuity's first flight. So tomorrow we'll turn on the helicopter and the space station could confirm health after experiencing the dynamics through the EDL just now. And the next major milestone will be when the rover deploys the helicopter to the surface. And that marks the first moment that Ingenuity operates on its own in a standalone manner. And surviving that first cold frigid night of Mars will be a major milestone. Each one of these milestones is important because it gets us closer to having useful flying gadgets on Mars to assist any future human visitors. You know, things like drones you could actually send ahead and maybe scout things out for you. A helicopter flying far ahead of rovers and astronauts in the future can provide high-definition reconnaissance information for the rovers and the astronauts before they take the long journeys. And as importantly, being able to fly will enable us to get to places that we cannot get to with rovers and astronauts, like sites of steep cliffs, deep inside crevices, areas of high scientific interest. It will be game-changing. This really is in the Wright Brothers era of flight on Mars. I mean, early days. Yeah, Tim also shared with us that many of the components in the Linux copter are from SparkFun. It's very much a DIY device that's just made up from a lot of regular old commercial components. Yeah, and that F-Prime platform can actually run on a Raspberry Pi. What? Yeah, there you go. Of course. Uh, Tim also shared some additional Linux insights. He said that the rover landing camera system that was used is also running Linux. We haven't seen anybody else talking about this. I don't think this has been widely discussed, but uh, the system that helped land Perseverance was running Linux on a ruggedized x86 PC. Oh, right. And that was doing the machine learning to help them find a safe place to land. Wow. Yeah, he kind of begrudgingly said, so I guess technically they were the first Linux on Mars, but, you know, we're going to be the ones flying Linux on Mars. (laughs) I think it might be a tie. Well, either way, we know this. Mars just became the second planet that has more computers running Linux than Windows. (laughs) 
<laughs> so that's a bit of a milestone. As far as what happens next, the helicopter will remain snug in the rover's belly for the next 30 to 60 days while they check on things and monitor data feeds. Yeah, Tim shared that there are two big ticket items they'll be looking for in the data, the state of charge of Ingenuity's batteries, as well as confirmation that the base station is operating as designed and actually commanding the heaters to turn off and on in order to keep our little Linux capture nice and in the expected temperature range. Right. And so far, we only have about 24 hours of data as we record, but everything seems to be working great. Tim says it's a positive report, and they are moving forward with the next phase, which is charging the helicopter's batteries. Yeah, I mean, maintaining function and good battery health is kind of critical if the helicopter is going to advance, survive through the frigid Martian climate, and actually do some test flights, which is what we're all hoping it's going to be able to do. A total of five test flights are planned over a 31-day period once the rover finds the right helipad, or a nice flat spot to deposit Ingenuity. As long as Ingenuity is attached to Perseverance, though, the helicopter can give its batteries a little boost. The Linux Copter has six lithium-ion batteries, but once it's detached from the rover, those batteries will actually be charged by the helicopter's own cute little set of solar panels. Although the first flight of Ingenuity will be short, only about 20 seconds of hovering off the ground to start with, it will be a historic moment. I want to take a break and thank two of our sponsors for making this here production possible. Let's start with Ting. Go to linux.ting.com. It's a new year. They have new plans, and it's the same great service. You guys know I've been a customer forever, but I can confidently say now is the best time ever to become a Ting customer. Why pay so much for mobile when if you know what you're doing, you can save some serious money? I'm talking like talk and text for 10 bucks a month. But if you need 2 gigs or you need 20 gigs, whatever it is, Ting now has the perfect plan for you. And no need to worry. The only thing that's changing is lower monthly phone bills. You still get access to Ting's award-winning customer service with nationwide LTE and 5G coverage. I'm currently on Verizon, but they have three nationwide networks you can choose from now. And the thing is, when people when people switch to Ting, they love the savings and they love the top-rated customer support. That's the number one and number two things I hear from our audience. But I love no contracts. I just love it. I just think that's the better way to have phone plans. And I hear from people outside the U.S. They tell me that's, I guess, the way they do it in the rest of the world. Well, Ting Mobile customers get access to that kind of treatment. And with three different providers to choose from, it's really simple to switch to Ting because just about every phone is supported. So get started by going to linux.ting.com to check your current phone create an account and pick the plan that's right for you. You'll get $25 in credit when you go to linux.ting.com and may pay for your first month of service because generally Ting bills are below 25 bucks a month. If your phone's compatible, Ting will send you a SIM card. You pop it in, you get going in a few minutes or you can buy a phone from them. They have a whole range. So check it out. The next generation of Ting Mobile is here. See how much you could save and get $25 off by going to linux.ting.com. New year, new plans, same great service. Linux.ting.com. And thank you to Ting for sponsoring Linux Action News. Also, thank you to Linode. Go to linode.com slash LAN and get a $100 60-day credit towards your new account and support the show. Linode is our cloud server provider. You should see the infrastructure we have spun up with JB 3.0 on Linode. We take advantage of all of it. We use their cloud dashboard to manage our systems, get a snapshot of their usage, and take advantage of their object storage. 
But when I need to get files up on Linode really quick or reboot a system that we're working on it, I actually leverage their command line application. It uses their API, it's quick, it's easy, and if you're a Linux user, I think you should check it out. Get started by going to linode.com slash land, sign up, get that $100 60-day credit, and play around. See what you can do. A lot of people ask us for a self-hosted Google Docs alternative. Well, what we use is HedgeMD, a real-time markdown collaborative editor. And of course, we host it on Linode. And that's a great example of what you can use that linode.com slash land $100 credit for. Markdown-powered, self-hosted Google Docs extinguisher. And you can run it on Linode in minutes. Go check it out at linode.com slash land. Go there, support the show, and see the best virtualized Linux servers in the cloud. Thanks to Linode for sponsoring Linux Action News, and thanks to everybody who goes to linode.com slash LAN. Looking ahead, with Linux 5.11 just released, here's a look at some of the highlights in 5.12, which just kicked off development. Yeah, usually this first week is crazy busy. It's like peak busyness for Linus Torvalds overseeing the kernel. But it wasn't until last night as we record this that code actually started showing up in the 5.12 Git repository. Linus himself was offline most of the week due to winter storms preventing him from pushing to the Git repository and interacting with the mailing list. It was quiet. Yeah, last week in Oregon, winter storm knocked out power to thousands and ended up interfering with the start of the Linux 5.12 merge window. Yikes. It seems on Saturday evening, though, Linus Torvalds is back online. His pull requests have begun to be honored with new code now hitting the Git tree. Phew, people go through their snark withdrawal. You know, looking at what they're trying to get into 5.12, in a, in a big way to me, it, it feels like a lot of this was work that happened over the last year during the lockdown that is now being realized in 5.12. Uh, and as the XFS maintainer, uh, Derek Wong, said, a lot is going on this time. And then he says, which seems about right for this drama-filled year. It sure does. And there are some big changes on the horizon with Linux 5.12, including for ButterFS, which is getting some nice performance improvements and a working zoned mode. And of course, some nice improvements for XFS as well. Particularly, I noticed towards being able to finally shrink that file system. That'd be uh, nice. XFS and I have been through the trenches together. It's good to see that. But for today, we wanted to dig into a big feature addition that has been in the making for quite some time, ID-mapped mounts. But what are ID-mapped mounts? Well, as kernel developer Christian Bauer says, simply put, different mounts can expose the same file or directory with different ownership. ID-mapping mounts can handle a wide range of long-standing use cases on Linux. They sure can, things like making it possible to easily share files between multiple users or multiple machines, especially in complicated scenarios. For example, ID-mapped mounts will be used in the implementation of portable home directories in systemd homed, where you might want to allow users to move their home directory to an external storage device and then use it on multiple machines. It also makes it possible to share files from a host system with unprivileged containers without having to do something like change ownership permanently with Chone. This technique of sharing things unprivileged with the container, that's actually already used on Chrome OS. Yeah, and you could, you could totally see a, a big use case for this in the enterprise 
in in the cloud. And it sounds like Systemd is keen to that. They're already looking to begin immediately making use of ID mapped mounts, as are some of the container runtimes, such as Container D, Run C, and LexD, and even where on the street is the Vert IOFS team is looking at using it for virtual machines as soon as possible. This initial implementation comes with ports right now for FAT and Extended 4. It looks like there's one for XFS that's mostly done and other file systems that are being actively worked on by independent people and maintainers. From the It's About Damn Time file, NVIDIA has produced code to support hardware-accelerated GL and Vulkan rendering with XWayland. Like so many good things, this was spotted in a recent merge request and NVIDIA engineer mentions in patch notes that with an impending driver update and these new patches, hardware-accelerated XWayland support should just start working. Additionally, some new work was done to allow running XWayland on the integrated GPU of a laptop, but having individual applications run on a dedicated NVIDIA GPU. Love it. I love this setup. This is similar to how I'd use my eGPU. And uh, similar how others are doing GPU offloading in X11 today. Coming to Wayland, that's great. This should work nicely, too, with hybrid graphics laptops that are using Wayland. And I would expect to see this in the, quote, long-lived branch driver, which I think they've renamed to the production branch now. Either way, it should be in NVIDIA driver 470. Moving up the stack a bit, Collabora developer Alexandros Francis sent in a new request for comment patch set that adds experimental Wayland support for running Wine applications, which would mean the ability to run Windows applications directly on top of your Wayland compositor, no ex-Wayland required. It's exciting because it's, it's really taking Windows applications under Wine to full support on a Wayland future desktop. But it is worth noting at this point in time, these remain out of tree, and it's not really clear when or if they will be mainlined. And there's also a lack of clarity from upstream Wine developers and code weavers on whether this code should first go through Wine staging, or what ultimately the acceptance requirements will be for introducing Wayland support into Wine. But once this code is ready, and these issues are worked out, should be possible to run Windows apps directly on Wayland. You don't need xWayland at all. That's great. It's pretty remarkable how far Wine has come, and this would really take it to the next level. I wouldn't be surprised if we saw Wayland support by the Wine 7.0 release sometime next year. And Wine staging aside, it'll also be interesting to see if perhaps this Wayland support gets picked up earlier by, say, something like Proton for Steam Play usage, if it actually ends up leading to efficiency or performance benefits compared to having to go through something like xWayland. Well, aside from not being able to play any of these video games, Apple M1 users and OpenBSD users have something in common this week. Their operating system boots on the M1 hardware. Yes, that's right. The OpenBSD hackers, vigilant hackers that they are, managed to get it up and running on the new Apple hardware. There's some hacks. There is some hacks. They still have to be fixed. So don't expect this to be mainlined anytime soon. But it's definitely getting there. You could say it's one small step right now for OpenBSD, but a giant leap for open source kind. Yeah, but it's not quite a Linux copter on Mars. No, Wes, but not much is. We will keep an eye on that little Linux copter and let you know of any interesting developments, as well as everything else that happens in the world of Linux. Go to linuxactionnews.com slash subscribe for all the ways to get 
new episodes. And linuxactionnews.com slash contact for ways to get in touch. Jupiter Broadcasting's first swag item in more than two years is here, and it's a robe. It's called The Coder, thecoder.shop. Look and feel comfortable while kicking ass. Life is better in a robe. We'll be back next Monday with our weekly take on the latest Linux and open source news. Thanks for joining us, and we will see you next week. Thank you.